Hello, this is Tony Speaks, and this is my lovely wife, Kim. We are the founders and co-creators of the lifestyle brand and podcast, Becoming Disciplined. Every week we meet, learn from, and share best practices with highly disciplined men and women from a variety of fields and endeavors. Follow us on our journey. John Reed is the editor of the Prince William Perspective, an anti-racist news publication in Prince William County. Prior to launching this publication in November 2019, he has worked in a variety of local publications from his days as a sports editor at Northern Virginia Community College in Woodbridge to television production for the local broadcast show Teens Call to the Nations. In addition, he is an author, producer, and media consultant. He has covered such events from the Million Man March to presidential campaigns. He has been involved in youth ministry for more than 20 years. John Reed's passion is for using the platform of media to provide opportunities and to be a voice in the community for the disenfranchised. Becoming Disciplined, we interview CEO, Mr. John Reed. Welcome to Becoming Disciplined, John. Hey, brother, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to finally be here on the podcast. Uh, a pleasure to be here today. Amen, amen. Now, John, can you tell me, you know, as you know, because you're one of our hardcore followers, um, can you share with me uh, your context? And this feels weird because I feel like I know your context pretty well. And just for the audience, I'll let you all know that uh, 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 Mr. John Reed is my, my accountability partner for a lot of things. And, uh, and he's definitely a man of discipline, a man of standards. So that's why it's my pleasure to have him on uh, today. But today, you know, I, I feel weird asking this because, you know, John's almost like a brother to me or he is a brother to me. But I got to you in the audience. Y'all don't know what I'm what I'm asking him. And, and, and Brother John, Mr. John, Mr. John Reed, can you tell us about your context so that our audience can understand where you're coming from? Where did you grow up? Absolutely. Yeah, I was born and raised in Macon, Georgia, you know, um, Bloomfield stand up and you know, I was raised there, born in 1976. Uh, we lived there until um, 1991, where my father, who worked as a liaison uh, officer for the U.S. Postal Service, moved up here to the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area. And also from there, uh, my grew in journalism grew ever from there, um, graduated Woodbridge High School and then went to both Northern Virginia Community College, then Virginia Commonwealth University. I am a graduate of Grand Canyon University, Lopes Up. And then we, you know, from there, I had always had a interest in journal journalism was my heart. Telling stories was my passion. And even though I took the very unconventional route to get there, but you know, yes, though well, even though I went through the unconventional route because I, I worked, you know, in project management, I worked in education, but I saw what God was doing. He was giving me knowledge in different areas to prepare me to where I am today, where I am the founding editor of the PW Perspective, which is an anti-racist publication, actually Virginia's only anti-racist publication here in the Commonwealth. And so that's where we are at today. Okay, awesome, awesome. Now, when you were growing up, would you describe your family as conventional or non-conventional? What 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 would you what description would you give your family growing up? Well, when you talk about you know, you just grow up in Georgia in the middle eighties. I'm I'm a PK. You know, for those who know, I was a pastor's kid, and so my, my father, the great you know, Doctor Bishop John Reed the uh, third, you know, he was. But definitely, we just grew up, and, and you no, know, in a sense, I guess. 
when you have, you know, you're the youngest of four brothers, you know, there's never anything such as conventional. Uh, I was blessed to have parents who have been married, got uh, by the grace of God for 49 years um, and are still going strong. And, you know, we experienced most of what, you know, you know, what boys do, you know, we were, you know, into Transformers, we were into G.I. Joe's, we played, we went to play sports, um, wrestled a lot, each other most of the time, and just we discovered a lot of things, but at the same time, we were blessed to have parents who showed not only just talked about discipline, but demonstrated it. So, you know, they set the model for us. They, you know, told it was right and wrong, and when things went awry, they always brought it back to, you know, hey, what is the word of God? So we were taught early in life about a standard, about how, how what a standard was and how to apply it. And those lessons are things that we you know, I try to take into my life today, whether it's in government or in business as a journalist. And so those are the things we experienced. And, you know, even when in difficult times and the hardships, uh, it helped us to lean back on that word which sustains us and keeps us focused on the greater picture. So uh, I would say definitely we've, we had many an unconventional moment, but the teachings were anything but. Awesome, awesome. Now, what sports did you participate in growing up? I was track basketball and baseball. I was still MVP of my 1985 team. Yes, they never take that away from me. And <laughs> um, but you know it was bas- basketball and track as well. And so I was one of your you know I was more of an anchor on the four by hundred meter relays. Um, I did those standing long jump and basketball was a point guard. And I tell you one thing, and, and it helped matriculate me to a lot of my life is I always like to see myself as a point guard in life and anything I do. And for those who know what a point guard, what a point guard is supposed to be, um, like one reason one of my favorite point guard of all time is John Stockton, because he made everybody around him better. His focus was not, hey, don't look at me, make others around you grow. You know, make sure if you got somebody who's better than you, you, you help them out as much as possible. And that's one thing I try to take into my personal aspect into business, which is, hey, okay, if I'm the one who a good leader is supposed to make sure that everybody else is set up at the table, you'll get yours as time goes on. And so those, so I always try to participate in something where I knew I could be part of a team. Uh, and it, whether it's like I said, baseball track or basketball, uh, it allowed me to be part of a community and know, okay, here's my role. I was never the star, or even the second star, or even the third star. I was, I was what you call a great role player. You know, I was a Ben Simmons, my team wasn't the one putting all the points up, but able to do all the, the little things that help the team grow as much as possible. So uh, those are, like I said, those are things I try to take with me in my life and things I, as a former coach, as a basketball as well, these I always try to teach players. And even in business is, Hey, you know, everybody has their role to play. Can you play your role? And, you know, that's biblical in a, in a manner of sense as well. So um, th- those are some of the things I did. And you know, I, I found out early in life that, hey, you know, I wasn't born with, the, I didn't hit genetic lottery. Okay. So I didn't hit genetic lottery. So I knew, okay, that NCAA scholarship is not coming. Uh, I knew I had to t- you know, do other things other than try to be professional at sports. Okay. Uh, now you mentioned being the MVP, which, uh, but you mentioned three sports. Which one did, were you the MVP in? Oh, and, and baseball. It was for, for our, our little league team. I still got the trophy and uh, <laughs> I told my kids and grandkids in the future. Yes, at one time I was the best on my team, but, you know, um, <laughs> getting participation trophies. And, you know, hey, you know, I can at least say at one point I, I, had, I had one good season. And <laughs> I, I was washed up at 10 years old, folks. But, you know, it was just, you know, God telling me, hey, I'm going to transition you into something even more than that. 
Amen, brother. Amen. Amen. Now, uh, you, you know, you also mentioned that you coach young kids. What sports have you coached and what skills are needed to become a great coach? All right. Well, thank you for asking. I'm coaching both uh, basketball and baseball. And what, what I always tell people with a coach is, is this. The, the number one is you got to have great perception. You got to be able to know that, OK, you cannot come in with a preconceived notion of what you think every player should be. They'll coach that great coaches know who are the ones where they can get the talent out of each individual player. So I always started first with, you know, when, when I was a coach, I always try to, you know, of course, get the, the, the cooperation, cooperation with the best players. Cause you get cooperation with the best players, everybody else going to fall in line. But then I always say there are two things. Always get a cooperation with your best player because everybody else is going to follow follow them, male or female. And then Go to whether it's basketball, the 12th man on the bench, or in baseball, the 25th player on your team. The one who doesn't know that they belong. The one who doesn't feel they have to say the same level of talent. That's the other one that you really got to focus on. Because your job as a coach is to make, and I'll use basketball, for instance, player, not only player number one great, but number 12 great. Make number 12 understand and buy into the same concepts. And, and I use that, again, I try to always say in both business sports and in ministry that hey if this person can understand your role then there should when, when there should never be an issue of well why does the middleman not know their role because then it's about creating a culture so that's what it takes to be a great coach the ability to create a winning culture and i'm not just talking about wins as far on the stat sheet i'm talking about one where that 12th player or that 20 in basketball that 25th player in baseball can come in and knows hey they're a part of something and know that Whatever they learned before, whatever they were part of before, it's different over here, you know, because we're about team. We are about sacrifice. We're about the greater good. And players were always bought into that. And it was something that they were able to listen. And one thing the coach should be able to do is not only be able to communicate, be able to listen. It is imperative because not all players are going to respond the same. You will have extroverted athletes on your team. You will have, definitely have introverted athletes on your team. Once we just – Hey, I'm here to play. And yes, you will have those who think about themselves, who are, who's, who are thinking about, hey, I'm just doing this because I want to get my profile growth. You got to get them in line too. So a good coach knows how to communicate, knows how to create culture, and knows how to listen. That is awesome. That is awesome. Now, uh, let's shift gears a little bit here. What, uh, you, you went to two different colleges. What was your college experience like as a younger man? And then how did that change compared to when you went to Grand Canyon? Oh, you know, two, two, yeah, two different John Reeds right there. Um, I, when I went to, uh, when I went away to VCU, and I, and I was thankful for going to community college, especially in the mid '90s, when at a time people, for lack of a better term, kind of looked down on community college. They thought, oh, you know, you're going there, why? Because you couldn't go to the big school. No, because we knew we weren't ready to go yet. And so, it, it going there helped me understand the collegiate environment and the work I had to put in. But when you're getting, you know, when you're young and you're in college, you know, we go away. And even though I was just in Richmond, an hour and 15 away from home, you know, there were some lessons that I learned. There were a lot of things I learned about different environments and learning about different experiences. That even though I grew up uh, in my teenage years here in Woodbridge, Virginia, you know, it was very, it was somewhat diverse. But the diversity of thought I did not experience until I went to Richmond. And so when I go there, and now I'm seeing people from different cultures, from 757 Tidewater area. I'm seeing people, you know, out from California. I'm seeing people, people who are very liberal, 
versus people who are very conservative. So now all these things are intertwining and I start to find out more about myself as an individual and things like, wait a minute, wow, I really didn't know I was either very close-minded about something and I need to be more expressive about this, or maybe some things I need to change my train of thought. So I experienced that in, in it was it was challenging. It was challenging for myself because I'm trying to balance out two different worlds as a student and as a journalist. And um, I was thankful to be able to do a lot of things there um, as a journalist, but also as a student. But it was it was difficult trying to find that balance. But when I was older, and I and those who I know, after I left school in 1998, I did not return to school to 2015, and life happens. So I returned to school in 2015 and went to Grand Canyon University. Everything's in focus. Everything's there. Everything's like, okay, this is what I have to do. This is what I got to do to finish. This is what I got to do to accomplish the goal. Nothing was in the way of that. I, you know, and this is when I'm a married man, you know, I'm working full time and, you know, I'm involved heavily in ministry. And, but I understood at that time, the bigger picture. See, when I was younger, I didn't understand it. I didn't understand, okay, these are things I need to do because it's going to have impact later on in my life. When I went to the Grand Canyon, everything was, okay, I'm getting this done no matter what. So if it meant, hey, I can't hang out with individuals, or B, I cannot do things, even with ministry, as good as it was, I had to focus on that goal. And I tell you, in 2019, when I went to Phoenix to my graduation, um, my family was there with me, my, my lovely wife, Veronica, my brother, and my parents, and... It was almost a surreal experience when I got a chance to walk the stage. And um, I remember the gentleman who um, who spoke, and he was a motivational speaker. Matter of fact, I'd love to have him come on, on the show. I think he'd be great. Um, and he spoke so much about just being all in on life. And I and the message he, he preached that day, and um, it was a sermon, basically. And it, it really taught me about that, the value of going all in on something. And I learned that value of going all in when it was time to open up the PW perspective, which is something I knew, even though I, my degree was in business management, that the God always put that, that reporter spirit in me and that I was, that was never going to be let go. So when the time came, I said, I had to go all in. I had to commit myself, similar to the way I did when I went to Grand Canyon. That is awesome. That is awesome. Now, um, wow, that's amazing. Because the message I heard this morning, the, the title was, uh, Going all in from Ecclesiastes nine and ten. So, yes, uh, that's exactly right. <laughs> that's where I got it from. That's where he, he talked from. Oh wow, wow, wow! So uh, I guess you know what I'm preaching on tomorrow. All right. brother. Now, who taught you your study habits? You know, or excuse me, who taught you your good study habits? You know, the the best version of your study habits, and how did those develop? Hmm, that's a great question. Uh, and I'd be surprised. It was a actually a fellow uh, professor, uh, actually a professor, I should say, a professor at Virginia, Virginia Commonwealth University. Um, and his name was Dr. Dr. Banks. Uh, he was my poli sci professor. And he was the one who actually got me interested in politics. And so what he taught me was, you know, how to effectively focus on a topic. And regardless of whether it was something that I felt was relevant to to me and so what he taught me was that a good student knows how to pull something out of each lesson he or she studies mm -hmm. they know how to make it relevant so 
he would talk, he would teach me that, especially in a lot of my thesis papers. And, um, but he was very strict. I was always appreciative. And number one, it was great to see because he was one of the first black professors I had ever met. But number two, he really took the time afterwards to get me involved and say, hey, you know, as a student, you need to understand and how to pull certain things, be able to take it out and say, hey, what is the central point of what I'm learning here? And it really helped me out a lot in my future studies when I went to Grand Canyon because every lesson, even on the teams, listen, I'm not a math student, okay? I'm by no stretch of imagination. I, but you know, I had to take calculus and then to statistics. But I, even in there, I was able to pull it out because I was able to apply it to ministry. I was able to apply it to my future endeavors as a journalist and also be able to learn, hey, okay, I get it now. It was almost like that eureka moment, you know, where things start, the light bulb goes off. And so what happened is, I think it helped me later on because it starts, things start to slow down. So whenever I'm studying, whether it's the word of God, whether it's, you know, um, in business, though, studying how to become a great journalist, uh, other things, project management, or even just studying how to become a great husband, you know, the things I want to learn in my finances, I say, okay, this is what I need to pull. What is the central thing I'm trying to grab from here? So it allows me to focus so that I don't get distracted. So when there's a lot of fluff around it, I know how to remove the fluff. I know how to take in the meat, spit out the bones. So it made it easier, which is why I believe my study habits improved as time went on. And so now I'd like to consider myself a student of everything, uh, as much as I can take in uh, all different aspects of society. When I'm watching the news, I, I don't just watch the news. I study it. You know, I study and say, okay, hmm, they're talking about the vaccine. Okay, and I go back to what Professor Banks taught me. Say, like, oh, okay, this is a central point. And this is why it's relevant. And I try to put that into our stories as well, because it's part of what I believe we as society should be able to take in as well, in addition to it. That's good. That's good. Now, um, you, you spoke about your business, the Prince William Perspective, and you also spoke about your point guard skills. Um my question is let's go let's go let's go five feet deeper let's go a little bit deeper on that on those two conjoining uh, principles how do you how did you get the support of so many people in the community so quickly how were you able to get the high quality interns that you've been able to get and how were you able to get buy-in from political leaders so quickly because you know there there are many people who try to set up something and and they don't always get the buy-in. Uh, you know, people, you know, people sometimes will just tell them to go buzz off. How were you able to get that buy in and how were you able to make those connections so quickly? The grace of God. Um, if you want a, <laughs> a short answer, but I know that short answers don't make good for great podcasts. Um, <laughs> what I, I, I would say, brother, is that what it took was just being open, being honest and saying, hey, you know, um, it wasn't like I, I had a lot of connections. I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, and. So what I started telling people that, hey, you know, we are really just trying to for you know tell our stories by us for us. That was it. I was just up front and honest. Uh, I didn't have the elevator pitch. You know, everybody knows about the 10 second elevator speech you have to have. I didn't have it down to perfection. And there were a lot of times where when we first started in November 2019 and, you know, and I, and that sounds like, OK, is this really going to be anything? You know, is this really going to grow somewhere. And I'm thinking, okay, I'll talk to a few people here and there, and um, maybe I'll, you know, get a few interviews once a month, and you know, it will be something. It will 
and maybe you know people will like it. But I, I, I honestly thought it would be nothing more than just a regular everyday old blog. That's what I'm, I'm thinking. But you know, we know God's plans, God's thoughts are not our thoughts, right? And mm-hmm. so, it, what was happening was as it was going on, all of a sudden, one person told another person and told another person. And I'm sitting here now. I'm getting calls from people, you know, and I, I, I won't say just highly elected officials in the state of Virginia who start calling, you know, like, hey, do you have time for an interview? Matter of fact, um, I got a gentleman who called me and I'm, my wife and I were going out to Las Vegas a couple of weeks and I'm going to be doing, doing an interview with him. And what way it happened was just, it was just a, a domino effect. It was, you know, going to people and telling them, and then that person will tell another person in their network and say, hey, you need to go support this young man, what he's doing. And and I was I was blessed because I happened to talk to the person who one of the people I felt was most responsible for the start of PW Perspective, um, Mr. Donald Scoggins, and a guy who I helped actually um, try to support his campaign. And he put me in touch and said, hey, there's some young men you may want to, because he asked me, like, you know, how, where do you want to take this? I said, my job is not only just to tell a voice, but to give a platform for our people. He said, hey, here's some young people you may want to talk to. So he connected me out of just a uh, Instagram conversation we had, and it just opened up the door. And there, of course, I met what I like to call consider, you know, my partner, Crown Langston Carter, uh, a superstar in his own right. And it just blossomed. It just blossomed from there. And that network led to that network, and you know, that's that. And so, I would say to people, you know, to anyone, if you're starting out a journey, you know, tell your story. Just be open and honest about who you are and what you're trying to do. You know, you don't have to fluff it. You know, you don't have to. Uh, commercialize it just tell people who you are and stick to that and that's what we stick to you know and that's one of the reasons we've been able to reach out in the networks we've been able to get to and uh, be able to establish those connections that's awesome now what type of discipline is necessary to thrive in the field of journalism what, what would you recommend in the field of journalism you, you better have integrity uh, and I know that's something that is almost a dirty word in in a lot of mainstream media circles. Uh, we've seen it sadly over the past few years, uh, where you know, and, and it's been going on since the mid in the late eighties um, with, uh, with the FCC regulations being changed. In journalism, you have to know who you are, and you have to understand your purpose. I, the other night, I was on a Zoom call with about twenty-seven different Black journalists throughout the nation. Some worked at ESPN, others were for CBS in LA, and other. And, and I spoke with uh, one lady, Miss Dorothy Tucker, who was the uh, one of the ch- uh, chief officers of the um, National Association of Black Journalists. And so, and as we were establishing these connections, just talking about our stories, we, we said, you know, what does it take, especially in this environment, where now more than ever before, America in particular, in the world wants to hear from from black and brown people. And so well, I would say well, to be a great journalist, number one, you know, you have to be able to subject yourself from the story. In other words, keep yourself, not just be part of the story. That's number one rule. Don't become the story. But number two, ask yourself, okay, what's the purpose in this story? What is it? Does What's the meaning behind this? And who will it impact? And so to, the discipline to be a great journalist is number one, knowing, knowing the story, number one, obviously doing your research on it. Um, that's one thing I've learned in interviews, you know, and that's just from my time in high school, from coming from high school, um, being able to know how to engage, how to be able to let the people know, hey, this is where you want to lead them. I used something with um, the late Larry King said it best. He said, two skills you got to have to be a great journalist. Ask the right questions, demand the right answers. 
And so those are the things, and you don't have to be, you know, got, it doesn't have to say gotcha journalism. That's one thing I don't subscribe to, gotcha journalism. Um, but it's to say, hey, this is what our people want to know, yes or no. And you can do that without having to become combative or have to be, you know, argumentative to a point where the focus were, because you're trying to get information. Now, as a journalist, your job is to say, hey, I'm trying to get information from this person on this topic and try to get over this people. So you got to take care of the transition of information. If you can handle the transition of information, that's power. Because you know, especially as, as you're interviewing political and elected officials, is getting that information can be very difficult. And so you're responsible for this. And it's almost the way I look at it as, okay, like a quarterback, you know, the ball is in your hands. You've got to make sure to get that ball into the right people, all right, to the hands of the right people. And what they'll do with it is obviously their decision. But what you got to do, you have to be responsible about it. And I think as journalists also, we have to be attentive. You know, we have to be able to capture the zeitgeist of what's going on. I always talk to my interns and, and my, my, my team members is capture the zeitgeist of what's going on around you. And a good journalist can understand that, can understand the times, can read the signals, and can be able to forecast when things are going. You know, I know a lot of people right now, I'll give you a perfect example. We're, you know, we're, a lot of us are talking about coming out of the pandemic. Uh, but one thing we also have to be mindful of is being ready. Learn, taking lessons. This is one thing I will try to teach us, you know, be ready for the next big thing that's going to come because you know, history has always shown us, you know, we are a roller coaster. We are one bad day away from society really changing. You know, look at October 29th, you know, 1929. Look at October 29th, 1987. Look at 2008. You know, there, there are many things that can take place um, on March 12th you know, of last year. So we're, you know, 9-11, I can go on and on, but we always have to be prepared. Because a good journalist knows when to be raised. So when that ha- the event happens, you're already headed again. That's awesome. That's awesome. That is awesome. Well, this is a good time to ask a question that I didn't even have written down, but it just made me, you know, um, when I think of John Reed, I think about your, you have a broad bandwidth where, matter of fact, of all the people I've met in life, I think that you have the broadest bandwidth of anyone I've ever met, okay, where everyone else I know, especially disciplined people, they're, they only know a field or they know a field or two. Like they, there's like two or three things that they know a lot about. You're, you're extraordinary because you know a lot about a lot of different categories and a lot of different, uh, you know, you know, sports. You know, pop culture, you know what I call, you know, because I'm, I'm part of it. I'm not saying it uh, in a derogatory manner, but, you know, nerd culture. You see what I'm saying? You know, you know, uh, politics, you know, theology, you know, a lot of broad different things. Um, is ha, Has your mind always been that way? And how do you stay disciplined with so much information? in your you know because a lot of people they can't they they don't have a necessarily a good memory when it comes to that broad of a, a platform or that broad of a bandwidth how how do you sort all of that data in your mind and ha- have you always been that way and with that kind of bandwidth is it hard to go to sleep at night 
Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, ask my wife. She's, you know, Veronica is always like, always see me fidget a lot um, because I always got something on my brain. And it's like, I don't know if people have seen on Facebook or on Twitter, there's that man where the husband and wife are sleeping and she and the wife is looking and saying, well, I wonder if he's thinking about other women. I'm like, no, I'm not. You know, I'm, I'm here thinking, man, I wonder why baby Yoda had to go with Luke, you know, or I'm thinking about, wow, where, where's the next <laughs> stock market, you know, and my brain is just going on. And it's always kind of, it's been that way. And I believe that it's because and I, I can say it as I'm older, it was always my business to know. I make it my business to know. But number one, number two, it's because I, I, I like to attribute it to the era which I grew up in. Because, you know, we grew up in the era we were raised on television. We were exposed to a lot of things where, and, it, when I'm not, and I say that, when I say that term, I want people to understand, I'm not saying it and say, oh, my parents weren't involved. No, no, they were heavily involved in our lives. But we were involved in an era where, in the early 80s, you got to see things that, you know, the exposure of cable network and television. Um, and one of the things I was attracted to was CNN. I was a, and I remember watching, the, uh, and I will watch it nonstop. You know, I, you know I'd have my, you know, our, like I said, we'd watch our He-Man. We'd watch our Transformers. But I was always turning over to CNN. My brothers would get annoyed by that. And uh, when I, I was always carried on to the TV because I wanted to know more about the world around me. That's always been the case. I, I always tried to see, like in, in whenever I was in school, you know, if I knew somebody was of a different culture, I would try to submerge myself in like, hey, well, what's it like? You know, what's it like being, um, you know, being from India? And I had students, and this is growing up in middle of Georgia, you know, what is it like, you know, growing up in Brooklyn? You know, what's it like growing up in Africa? And so I would just always had that curiosity of knowledge. And, and so because I didn't see it, especially in my own neighborhood, and I was always curious to it. But as you were talking, you were talking about discipline earlier. And what discipline me is understanding, okay, what is it I'm trying to gain from this? You know, what is it I'm trying to learn from, not just for myself, but how can I understand their way of life? So often we grow up with this segmented mindset of, okay, me, my four, no more. And I was able to learn that diversity of thought because it helped me so that when I would talk with people from different cultures or different backgrounds or learn about different things, uh, like, for instance, you know, I wanted to learn more, like I said, when the stock market crashed or, you know, whether in 87 or learn more about politics, of course, the Iran Contra affair. It was the reason I wanted to learn about those things was because I said, there's such, this is such a beautiful world. You know, this is, you open it up, it's like a kaleidoscope. You know, there's so many different things that you can pick and choose from it. And, so I was like, well, why is this the way it is? And so when I got, as I got older, I began to understand, hey, this is why society works. So now as a journalist, I look at it as learning about these different things is, hey, you know, how can I take this topic? How can I study this and say, how can it impact a generation? How can it impact our people? So it's always been that way. And you're right, uh, there's always this mindset of, okay, I got to learn about this. I got to learn more about finances. I have to learn more of, about the environment. Um, and it's something I've been blessed with. And so it keeps me engaged. But yeah, it, it does become difficult uh, because you're always studying. You're always reading. I'm up, you know, six, seven in the morning, you know, reading the AP or uh, reading things on a local level, studying consistently. 
uh, different cultures. No, I'm studying news in Africa. I'm studying news in India. I'm studying news in Japan because I want to know, hey, where's the next trend coming from? Where's the next thing that's happening that I need to get uh, be a part of? And so I think that the discipline part comes in in terms of this is why I need to know this. So I can understand because when I hear people, especially in mainstream media or just in Twitter or what have you, you know, talk about things from a very um, myopic point of view, it disheartens me. And so I try to say, hey, you know, can I lighten the conversation a little bit? Let's get a little deeper because God created this world to be diverse. He created it with different subsets. He created it with, with different mindsets. And so we have to understand one another and not just be so focused on ourselves because the more we become open to other people, the better things are. And those are the things that I always try to take back with me when it comes to understanding different things, because like I said, you know, we, we are in a basket robbers lifestyle, you know, there's 31 different flavors. Why not, you know, try to pick from each one, decide what you like, what you don't like. That's awesome. That is awesome. That is really great. Now, what tips or tricks do you have regarding note-taking? Because I want all the young journalists out there to know that you're not going to always be able to turn on a recorder uh, for some interviews because some people are going to react adversely if they see a recorder underneath their nose. Uh, so what, what tips do you have for note-taking? Do you have any? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Yes, uh, what I tell for people good note-taking is the ability to always take your from your verbs, right? I always like to focus on the verb and the action. Mm. And when a person is talking or they're saying like I said, they're, they're responding to a statement. I always like to say, take, I always tell young journalists, what is the action item you're taking away from this? And this is where I'm using project management. And because we focus on it, because people, readers want to know what the person is doing and what the person is thinking, right? And so I, I, I sadly, I see too many times stories are written, written and talk about, you know, how the scene is or how things look around it. At the end of the day, readers want to know, hey, who, what, when, where, why, where, and how, okay? And obviously, answer the five W's and the H is the, is the foundation, but try to get a little deeper here is young journalists always encourage them, what's your takeaway from this? What is, if you can leave the reader with one big takeaway in that story, you've done your job. Mm-hmm. And you, you, it removes a lot of the fluff. Like I was saying earlier about the fluff. It removes a lot of the nuance and gets right down to it. Now you can add it for, for a contest if you need to. And it's great to have, it's always got to have contests. But at the same time, don't let the contest be the story. Let the action item become it. So whatever that person is thinking. So when you're writing down your notes, all right, always write with the purpose of what is the verb? What is the movement that's taking place? Because again, you're, you're handling a transformation of information, right? So if I if a person says, this is what we need to do. Okay, now to do. Now that's why I, I focus on to do, and then I go from there, right? Because I can I can come back later on and get the other stuff later. later. But once I hear that verb, I, I, that's where I start, right there, and start writing down my notes. And because then what happens is what you're doing is you're taking, this is where I'm going to be a good English student, um, you're taking the vital part of the story. And especially even if it's a story where you're interviewing someone and say, for instance, they're releasing a book and you're saying, okay, well, they've already done the action, right? So what you want to do is when you're taking notes, you also want to take a point of what was the, the key point where they said, this is why I did it. 
And once you hit that word because, go. So with every five W's and the H, once that verb comes afterwards, that becomes your, your starting point. And then you should be able to take your notes and write it from there. So if you can do that and then have your subject at the end, you can bring it back all together to the context of your story. Oh, man, that's some good stuff, brother. That's a, You are a treasure, my brother. You are truly a treasure. Amen. Now, uh, I had one year as a journalist, and I did not do the best of managing relationships. And in, in particular, I didn't do a good job of managing relationships with uh, law enforcement. I, I kind of got too cozy and, uh, and you know, accidentally became a propaganda tool. Um, how do you manage relationships? Because on one hand, as a journalist, um, you you need access. You know, if you want the scoop, uh, you're going to need access. You know, you're, you're going to need to know what's going on. And those calls from officials that say, hey, this is about to happen. It's invaluable. But at the same time, when you get too cozy with those guys, then, you know, it can kind of get in the way of the truth coming out. So. The question is, how do you manage those relationships? And what advice do you give to young reporters about cultivating those relationships, but then not allowing yourself to get used in those relationships? Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's a, that's a great question. Um, I, I, matter of fact, let me, if I may, let me share a perfect example. Um, we were, our, our publication was very supportive of, of Kasim Rashid's run for no Congress, right? And, um, and, you know, we would see him a lot. I would talk with him, you know, I personally interviewed him and he was a great, you know, great assets of information to us, you know, and then we got a lot of grassroots support for his campaign. And, but there was a story that we had to publish, you know, and it was about his relationship with the Muslim community. And at the time, there was a lot of pushback. There was, let's just put it this way. And I came to a point where as an editor, because this, this is for young journalists where you have to separate, you have to segregate yourself from the person. Your focus has to become on the, the people. Your focus has to become on those, the community itself. And so I decided to go with the decision. And, and even my, 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 my entire staff wasn't necessarily on board with it. And I understood that and I respected their wishes. But I said, you know, we have a responsibility at times to do this. We have a responsibility to tell the truth, you know, be responsible. We have, we, our responsibility is not to the politician. Our responsibility is not to the law enforcement. Our responsibility is not to the board of county supervisors. Our responsibility is the community. And if we're talking about walking in integrity, then the number one thing we will do is we will be open to the community, you know, because they're our stakeholders. They're the ones that hold us accountable when we aren't doing our job. And so we post a story. You've got a lot of a lot of angry email. I can still show you the emails we got from his camp um, to this day. And but at the same time, they understood why we did it. They understood that, hey, you know, these are the things we promised. You know, it goes back to what I said earlier. You know, we have to demand the right answers. So to young journalists out there, yes, it is important to get that access. But at the same time, you know, we not without telling it directly, but indirectly letting people know, hey, my responsibility is not to be a propaganda tool for whatever the people are reporting or, or to the to the uh, people in charge. My responsibility is to that that underserved community that has felt ignored. My responsibility is to that young college student who feels his his or her voice is not being heard. So that's who my responsibility is to. So that's what it helps me not to get influenced 
And I will say this now, especially when you are a black owned publication, there will be a lot of, of candidates. There'll be a lot of people who will try to influence you. They will say, Hey, can you put this out for us? Can you put this? And, every time I, and I have a treasure chest of, of no's. Every time I said no, because it does not fall in line with what we are. And they'll say, okay, thank you. And some won't be, aren't happy about it. You know, and others are, others appreciate the honesty and they know where we stand for. So that's one thing I, I can take back. Um, that I'm proud to say that along with our wonderful team, that we, we have our principles that we stand on and that is the culture of the PW perspective. And so when someone tries to influence, again, to young journalists out there, understand the greater the greater good. And that will mean sometimes having to say no, um, because it's better to walk away with in- integrity. You know, lay your head down at night knowing you did what was best rather than looking back at yourself and questioning your your um, your motivations. OK, now, uh, one of the reasons why we are in a democratic republic is because uh, the general public a lot of times is ill-informed about the details of issues. Um, As a journalist, you're privy to information that the general public might not be focused on or aware of. Um, How have you resisted the inclination to not judge your audience for their blissful ignorance? Because a lot of times you can kind of see what's really important and then sometimes uh, at least from my experience and at least from other journalists I've experienced, you know, you, you will find something very, very important and post it. And then the public might not be interested at all. And then there's other things that you might post just because you think it's, you know, like it might be a filler or it might be something that you don't think is important at all, but then it gets all kind of hits. Um, and, that, and at least from me and from other reporters I've spoken to, that was very frustrating to me. You know, like there was times where I was talking about serious, real issues that affected people's, you know, taxes and public policy. And I would post it and people would be like, oh, next. And then there's other times where I would post something fluffy that really, to me, you know, I was even debating whether I should post it at all. And it would go semi-viral. How do you get past those moments? And how do you kind of not get frustrated with your audience when that happens? That's a great question. Uh, I, I can give a, a perfect example of that. I remember we were, we did a lot of articles on the Racial Social Justice Commission here in Prince William County. And I was, and I'm thinking, okay, great. You know, this is what people want to talk about. This is, you know, Prince William County is at least trying as a minority majority county, they're trying to do something in order to bring awareness to a situation. Um, that's long overdue. Crickets. Got crickets on it. And then I, I the other day I put up an article an editorial on Derek Jackson. For those who may not know, you know, was the social media influencer who was, you know, who confessed to infidelity. I'm thinking, okay, I'm gonna do this because there'll be way I say, hey, you know, address it. Of course, naturally that blows up, right? And I was like, <laughs> here thinking like, oh, you got I'm not gonna and, and it's hard because I resisted the urge to write that story because I said, I'm not going to go down the, the TMZ rabbit hole. You know, people TMZ do great work. So I'm not saying TMZ, but what I'm saying is we're not become celebrity chasers. Okay. That was one thing I said I didn't want to do, but of course, naturally that gets all kinds of hits, all kinds of shares, all kinds of comments. I'm like, Oh, great. And now people are going to expect that. 
Um, it is frustrating at times as a journalist when, as you say, because you one thing to put in perspective, we don't just want to educate people. Our goal is to empower people. Oh, we have a lot. Of, one of the things we're going to be reducing, I guess, from doing a sport alert here, we're going to be doing a series of financial literacy courses um, because we, we want to help engage community in things that, quite frankly, I wish I had known growing up, uh, especially in my 20s and early 30s. And so, it, but I find when we put those out, they get maybe one or oh, maybe a couple of shares, if that, maybe a comment, if that. But let me put something about, oh, this elected official is not doing their job and or editorial. It just it goes through the roof. And it's all over every post on Princeton County folks on Facebook. Um, one thing I realized is it, it's almost like, you know, you've been being, you know, being a pastor. You know, one thing I've learned throughout history is, you know, being able the messages that hit the hardest are the ones you would never see coming. It, it could be a point that you think is totally innocuous. But what happens? It hit home. It hits home. It, it hits that nerve. And that's just the way it goes back to what I was talking about earlier. You know, we are a cornucopia of different mindsets, different you know, viewpoints. And while obviously we want everybody, to, our goal is to make everybody you know, Ivy League educated with our articles. We want everybody to say, oh, yeah, that's, that's a great idea. Um, but we also know that the way the human brain works. And you, as a journalist, you have to understand human behavior. You have to understand human behavior patterns. Not saying everybody's going to flock to this. You no, know, don't do a whole bunch of stories on the you know, Kardashians or whatever, you know. But at the same time, understand that there are some things that's going to affect. We know stories that may hit the Lake Ridge community. Montclair won't care about. Or stories that will hit over in Haymarket won't touch Aquaquan. They won't make it care less. And it has nothing to do with being localized. It just has me, hey, like, for instance, the Royal Crescent, for those who live in the Prince William County uh, District, the Royal Crescent is a big issue right now um, as to what's being done about that and where it should be conserved and what have you. you know, and we will get most of our comments, and in some cases, some of the vitriol from the western end of the county. But, of course, down to Dumfries, no, nah, okay, it's, it's whatever. And so, as a journalist, I try not to get make. It, I, I try not to take it personal. Now, I try not to take what we report because I understand that. Okay, not everybody is going to feel the same way, and I know not everybody is going to feel the same way. I just have to know. Hey, am I am I hitting the Featherstone community? Am I hitting Manassas? Am I hitting this community? And if it's making a, a group community of people saying, "Hey, yeah, okay, all right," may not may not work for Joe and Susie over here. But Bobby and Jill, hey, wait a minute. Oh, oh, that, that really touched them. Okay, great. And, and that's the most important thing. So I, at least I, I can rest knowing that, hey, we did our part. We, we did what we were supposed to do. Uh, and that's what we do as journalists. And so those are, those are the stories we try to produce that really knows that, okay, if one segment is going to be impacted in a positive way, we've, we're doing our job. Mm. Now, if you had to give advice to um, a young John Reed who would start a similar business in, let's say, Caroline County. Caroline County right now is a news desert. Um, and there's around, I think, 13, if I remember right, there's 13 other news deserts in Virginia. Mm -hmm. um, so if you had to give advice to a person, a younger John Reed, uh, starting a Caroline County, or uh, matter of fact, there's another news desert in uh, um, King and Joe, uh, 
King and Queen County. There's another news desert there. If you had to give advice to that person starting a newspaper in a smaller venue, um, if you had to do it all over again, would you set up the Prince William perspective as a for-profit or for an, or as a not-for-profit? Well, you, you, you said, you know, John Reed, the first thing I had to do was get him to sit down long enough to talk to him. But <laughs> um, so if I can get the young John Reed, if I can get John Reed of 1998 to sit down long enough, and yes, I'll be able to really get not, not so sensitive to him. But um, I would tell to someone, number one, not-for-profit not, not because – I, that's what we run. I, I believe as a journalist, it's, it's not about the money. It's not about the income. It's about the outcome. And uh, that's the way I look at the PWR perspective. Uh, and so it, to me, the profit, the profit we receive comes in knowledge. It comes in empowerment. It comes in the ability to say, hey, we are impacting our community. I would say to a young um, John Reed, if, they're, if you're 22, 26, 31, and you're interested in starting a, a, a newspaper, uh, my advice to them would be at, know your why. Know your why. Write it down. Uh, you know, if people, you know, when I, by, when I prayed about what was going to be the PW perspective about, and it just came. It was like, you know, being the voice of the silenced minority. That's it. That, that, that was it. I, you know, and there was nothing else that needed to be said. It wasn't about, oh, okay, let me do this as a get rich quick stream or whatever. No, journalism, no, you know, don't let the mainstream media, media fool you, okay? And that's it on the top of gold here. But I've, I've been blessed in receiving influence. I've been resisted, like you said, in connections and stature and being a voice, um, a refreshing voice in a community that desperately needs it. I would tell that individual, know your why. If you can know your why, because here's what's gonna happen. Knowing your why, is going to keep you sustained when only one or two people are reading your articles. Mm. Knowing your why is going to keep you sustained when that elected official tries to slip you and send you an email or send you a text saying, hey, can you write about my campaign? Uh, or can you talk about this? It's going, knowing your why is going to help you when someone sends you an email as we get, you know, like, 12.04 on a Saturday night from somebody saying, hey, I've got some dirt on somebody. Hey, on this on this report or this politician, you mind putting it out? No. Knowing your why is what's going to sustain you when the dollars aren't coming in. Knowing your why is going to keep you when you have people calling you. And I'm just, you know, some of the things that I've, I've got, you know, a, a, a member of Antifa or, you know, I am a racist or insurrectionist. And you get them all. You, once you get past the first five or 10 comments of those people calling you that, you get used to it. Nah, okay. Nah, it's whatever. Love you anyway. God made you special. All right. Bless you. Keep it moving. And, um, but knowing your why. So if you're in a news desert, I, I highly encourage uh, anybody watching this uh, right now. Do not let what you see on mainstream media confuse you or, or disdain you or dissuade you, I should say. Independent journalism right now is such a need. Independent journalism is the backbone of the community. Don't look to the, you know, CNN, MSNBC, Fox, ONN, you know, Newsmax, I can go on and on. Democracy Now!, you know, great journalists, uh, free speech TV. Um, I can go on and on about those who really do fight the good fight, those who really do carry on the flag. But 
The world needs independent journalists. The world needs more voices. I remember, real quick, um, I remember when I was talking to a friend of mine two years ago, a great friend I went to school with, and he was a longtime journalist in Richmond and in Tampa. And I remember telling him, hey, you know, I'm I'm thinking about starting a a newspaper. And he was very open and honest. He was like, are you sure you're going to be able to get into this market in Northern Virginia? I said, yes. I, I was I was steadfast because I knew, you know, this is after I prayed about it. I said, yes, because there's a need for us. And, you know, this is with, hey, shout out, you know, all respect to Potomac Local, Inside Nova, and Prince William Town. I said, no, it's not about us taking away their piece of the pie. It's about adding our own flavor. And we did that. And now we get people come back and say, thank you, because you're, you took back a narrative that was taken from you. And so I tell that to every journalist, take back the narrative. If you are frustrated with the lack of news in your community, take back a narrative. That is the focus for us. Because here's the thing, brother, is every time, every time we don't write, we, you know, we get frustrated, we're not seeing things progress or what have you, we think to ourselves, Every time we don't tell a story or report to our community, someone else is going to report it in their own language. And we can't let that happen. And it's not so much us versus them. Let me make this clear. Because I have a lot of friends in the journalistic community as well. But what it is, is that no one can tell our stories but us. No one can tell, you know, no one can can teach the stories. It's like in the ministry. Unless you know who Jesus is in your life, you know, you can't tell the story, you know? And so if and you talk about earlier about knowing things and being, and being as knowledgeable as possible, if you, if you have an opportunity to teach it in your be a voice in your community, do so because somebody is waiting on you to be their voice because they can't express it themselves. They, they want to say, it, but they can't. So there are so many news deserts which need independent voices right now. That's good. That's good stuff. Now uh, we're, we're in the home stretch. We only got three questions left for you. Um, we're looking at, we look at discipline and becoming disciplined from a holistic standpoint. You know, uh, we look at physical discipline. We look at data organization. We look at home organization. Uh, we look at, uh, financial management. Uh, we look at, uh, spiritual disciplines. We look at kind of like the broad spectrum of discipline. Where would you consider yourself extremely disciplined? And then where is an area that you feel like you need some, uh, you need some extra work or development. Well, I always feel that number one, when it comes to I'm very disciplined in terms of information management, uh, we get tons of stories, tons of requests, ton, and, and I and I'm thankful for each one of them. You know, we are a, we are a staff of eight, uh, and I'm thankful for all the volunteers who who help us, you know, become what we are. We are a true community publication. Um, but and we, one of the things we have been very good at is handling, you know, not only handling information, processing it, but obtaining it. And, you know, and this comes from every day. Uh, my wife will tell you, you know, uh, for you know, I am up till midnight looking up, talking with people or emailing. The other night, there's a story. About, well, um, I, I can't reveal it here yet. I have a few sources I have to, to verify. But there's some stories about education that 
uh, studying up. And so what might do if I'm working on education, uh, another person's working on another interview. And, and so we that's one of the things where we've been data management and information. We've been able to be very disciplined on. Um, I would say if there was one one area, um, I definitely say physical discipline. I think I realized that and when I got to like mile five, I started realizing the lack of physical discipline. Um, so I thank you so much for your for your gracefulness and humility and allow, you know, just flexible with me today. Um, but on a personal note, I would all, all always say that there are areas in which I need to be disciplined, really more so in continuing to move the meat from the bones. And here's what I mean. Sometimes when you're a journalist, and if you're a media producer, regardless, your number one job is content. You know, content is key. And sometimes I've learned I have to also be understanding of, okay, not every story benefits, not every story empowers. And so I have to be able to be more disciplined in that area as well. Um, I also, you know, continue to understand that, hey, as a, as a business, we are, we are a business and understanding the business portion. That's where I'm growing right now is really understanding that as a, now I'm just a journalist, but I'm making the transition from a journalist to a, a CEO. And when your whole life has been, hey, we are about telling stories. Now you have to see things differently. And being able to make tough decisions. Sometimes that is, you know, people will send resumes and they'll send requests say, hey, you know, I want to be a part of your organization. Sometimes I got to make decisions and say no because of budgetary reasons. And that's hard for me. That is hard. I am, I am, I don't know if you ever saw the movie Yes Man with Jim Carrey. I was the Mr. Yes. Hey, can we write it? Yes. Can I help? Yes. Can I do this? Yes. Not because it was out of, I didn't want to be people who said, it's just because I always say, hey, you know, how can I brighten a person's day? If I say no, I'm, I, I'm questioning, I can be questioning their spirit. I question their spirit. I don't want to do that. But the hardest part is saying, oh, some things we can't do because I got to stay on budget, you know? Um, and, and anybody who knows, and I tell this to, also to young journalists, expect to be in the red for a while. Expect to be in the red. Um, you got to be able to take, take that L. And But here's the thing. It, it does change over time. It does change. And so if I can try to manage that and learning, okay, I, I'm not just a reporter. I am now also a boss. And I and you know, my staff, who are, are the greatest people I've ever worked with, um, are, understand that. But I learned sometimes they'll come with requests and I have to say, no, we, we can't do that. Um, and, it's, and I feel bad because I want them, one of the things I would like to do is help people explore new opportunities. Like for instance, uh, one thing I can share with you now that was official, we will be doing our first documentary um, later this year about the expansion of the Darla Norton, you know, um, mosque over here in Manassas. And one of the things is, you know, I didn't think it was possible but of course, God, God's ways are not our ways and thoughts, not our thoughts. So uh, those are areas I, I would say is making that transition from being a, a, just a journalist to a CEO. Okay. Awesome. 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 Now, second to last question, uh, what book would you recommend for people who are seeking discipline that's outside of the Bible? And then is there, are there any books that you would recommend to young aspiring journalists? 
I can answer that question, both questions in one. Joe by Phil Cook. Um, Phil Cook to me is my Yoda when it comes to me, other than yourself and a few other people. Um, Phil Cook to me, for those of us a Christian producer, filmmaker, um, I, I would recommend that book, the book Joe, because it really touched me at a time where um, I really needed to understand who I was. Uh, I was at, I was just going through a, a, a difficult time in my life, um, kind of at that point where I was at a crossroads. This is pretty much around the time where I was ready to go, um, go to the Grand Canyon, return to school. And I bought the book and it just, it really taught me a lot because one thing I love about Phil Cook is he takes aspects of the Bible and puts it in a very, uh, I would say contemporary and contemporary context where you can study it and anybody can read it, but like, yes, that, that's me. That, that's what I need. I, I, you know, whether you're in finance, whether you're in education, whether you're in politics, it, it touched all over. It hits all points. Say, okay, I need a shakeup. I need, this isn't working. This isn't who I was made to be. This is who God made me to be. And so when I got that book in 2015, it really opened up my eyes to what could be and what should be. And so I recommend that for anyone really just trying to understand where they're going in life. Even if you're not a believer, let me make this clear. If you're not a believer, it will apply to your life. Mm -hmm. And I remember I got a chance to talk with him in um, 2017 in Orlando and got signed one of, one of just the most surreal moments of my life. And, um, and he said the same thing. He's like, because he, I, I remember his story. He shared with me his story about when he was 36 years old, married with two kids in Oklahoma. Um, he had just gotten fired from media ministry at his church. And he was like, you know, I need to do something different. This isn't working. This isn't what I was made to be. So he and his wife, Kathleen, got their two kids, girls, and moved out to Los Angeles and found a cook pictures. The rest is history. Um, and so I kind of like relate myself in that because, again, I didn't take the conventional path to journalism. You know, I didn't come out of college and get a reporter shot right away. You know, I had to go through some things. But it was books like that that really encouraged me to do that as well. Um, but if I, if I have to say one, one more um, – I, and I always like to use, because he's my favorite author, Malcolm Gladwell. Mm -hmm. um, Malcolm Gladwell, um, David, um, Goliath, um, I would say Outliers. Outliers is another one I highly recommend. Outliers teaches you a lot about just what it takes to be successful, not just in your, in, in your, in your business, in your calling, but in your personal life. Mm, good, good, good recommendations. Uh, now, Mr. John Reed, first of all, we just want to thank you for coming on board. I, I appreciate you. I appreciate your presence in our community. I appreciate you as a brother and uh, my accountability partner. I, I, I can't say enough uh, positive things about you. Uh, you are definitely one of the more disciplined people that I've met in the world today. And I just appreciate you for coming on uh, with such short notice. Uh, we want to turn things over to you. Do you have any closing thoughts that you would like to speak to our listeners? And for, and for if you don't know, our listeners are typically people from age 30 to 55 uh, who are, they are striving to do better. They're striving to become a better version of themselves. And, uh, oh, before we start, before we, uh, before we, before I turn things over to you, let me just pause for a moment because we have a, we have something we don't normally uh, we don't normally have to uh, consider. We actually have a, an audience member, <laughs> uh, Pastor Jeremiah Marshall. Do you have any questions that you'd like to ask our, our dear brother, uh, John Reed? 
he's been uh, Pastor Jeremiah's been hanging out with us. Oh, what's going on, with Jeremiah? Man, that was <laughs> always an awesome man, a man who knows about community. Amen, amen. Well, he's a little bit on delay because he's on Facebook. So. He says, uh, oh, well, he wants to ask you about your jogging experience today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. All right. All right. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. All right. Like I said, my athletic days were long gone. Okay. Um, but, I, you know, I, I run, uh, ran seven miles today. I, I usually go for those who are in the Woodbridge area. Normally, you will catch me. Two days a week, I'm over there on the lake, on the trail of Lake Rail Prince William um, Parkway, because that that is to me. And here's the thing about jogging: you want to talk about discipline. I am a person who is very, um, as you say, very structured in his approach. And one thing I'm blessed, you know, my wife knows. Okay, when he's running, he's going to go focus. And when I'm exercising, I focus. You know, I I, I abhor. And this is no disrespect to anybody um, I know before, but I abhor running with other individuals because my focus is John Reed needs to focus on his pace. I can't run your pace. You can't run my pace. Okay. Uh, you know, and that's all the story um, about other things. But when it comes to running, one thing I tell people, you know, put one foot in front of the other, don't stop. And you, you know, when you hit your threshold, press on. Press on. And so uh, one of the things I love about going there, that's for the hardcore runners. You know, they, <laughs> I, I cannot run in areas. I cannot run on tracks because too many people. I like to be able to, my dream is to find a open desert road and just keep running. Not run too late with a coyote, but run, run, and run. And be able <laughs> just to keep running. But it's because I love, number one, like I said, being outdoor in nature. But number two, uh, it helps me because I, you know, build up resistance. Because one thing about the Lake Ridge area is it's a lot of hills, so it helps you build up resistance in not just physically but mentally. Because I know going in, like, okay, I got these inclines I got to deal with. I got to go up. All right, here's where I, you pace yourself. It's just like in life, you know, there are times where you got to slow down, uh, and but there's other times you got to be able to say, okay, I got to pick it up. And so that's that always going that trail helps me because I know. No one's, you're not going to get no weekend walkers on there, okay? That's for the hardcore folks. And so that's the max level. And I always like to measure myself up on the max level because if I figure I can hack it there, I can hack it anywhere. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Now, getting back to our last question. Mm -hmm. um, our, our, our audience is people from 30 to 55. They're striving to be better. Um, they're looking to become more disciplined in their life. Uh, you know, first of all, you know, we just want to thank you for coming on. We, we can't appreciate you. You know, we can't express our appreciation enough for you coming on last minute. But what are your closing thoughts for that audience who is striving to be better versions of themselves? It's never too late. If God has made us unconventional, he's made us unique in our, and, and we are made in his image. The reason I say that is because. I want if if my life can inspire that thirty-five year old person who maybe didn't finish college, you know, didn't get the sixty thousand, seventy-five thousand dollar job coming out, didn't have a trust fund, you know, didn't have um or not just that, just 
life happens. You know, tragedies happen. Um, for those who may not sorry know, um, I lost my brother, you know, sadly to gun violence in 1998, and more recently my nephew. Um, I tell I want I want that person to understand. You know, you may be if you're watching this, or you may be sitting at a cubicle, maybe in your car, wondering, okay, when is it going to turn? When is when is it going to be my turn? You know, I see everybody else on. So Instagram, you know, Twitter, living their best life now, you know, like, you know, Joe Osteen's book and, uh, and uh, where am I going to get my, my piece of the pie as Jefferson song used to be? I, I want people to understand that there's this one thing, God's put a passion in each and every one of our hearts. Go back to that passion. You know, I, I went back to the passion with that I was when I was six, seven, eight years old. And when I had met my first reporter, um, when I was in elementary school, and I said, "That's what I want to be." Mm. I, I see how much joy this man had. And he, his name was Silas Alexander. I never forget him. And he was a weatherman. He said, "Asked why do you do this." He said, "I love it. I, I love talking with people. I love being out and experiencing the, the, the world." And I said, "That's what I wanted to do." And so I always, you talked about earlier about young John Reed. I say, "Go back to what young you and you and to the person who's listening." Oh man, I can't do that. Oh yes, yes, you have breath in your body. If you have breath in your body, you have that opportunity. It's never too late. It's never too late and, and going whatever it takes to study. Uh, I, I didn't just wake up one morning, crack over the computer and say, all right, here's the PR perspective. It, it, it took over a year. It took over a year of work to get to this point because I had to put in the legwork. You know, with anything, uh, I'm talking, well, my brother here, you know, he can tell more than anybody. You know, he puts in the legwork. So becoming disciplined wasn't just an idea that he came up with. It was something that came from years of victories and years of setbacks to get to this point. Uh, and so and, and for many people who have been on this show, you know, and so I say it to each and every one of you watching right now. Oh, number one, it's never too late. Number two, put the legwork in today. Put in the legwork will mean you have to say no to some things. And in some cases, some people. Doesn't make you a bad person, doesn't make you wrong. Now, now, obviously, we want to make, you know, things we, number one thing we want to make sure is that we're hearing from God. And number two, if it's of God, he will make it happen. And you tell to those who may, who may not believe, I ask you, I, I, I simply say this. What do you want written on your epitaph? What do you want written? And I always share this with people um, that when I look back on my eulogy and I wrote, you know, journalist and I said well that's not how I finished my story so finish your story because no one can tell it but you that was our brother John Reed if you enjoyed him as much as we did please check out his pride and joy the Prince William perspective Virginia's anti-racist voice